0: your copy of the Scriptures this morning, and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. The book of Hebrews, as a way of reminder, is written to a Jewish audience, and it is very evident of such things, especially as we look at the content. The book of Hebrews has six different warning passages. We looked at one of them yesterday. It it is as if the writer wants to get up in our face and say, take care to pay attention to these things. The outline of this book, in the first six chapters, Jesus is contrasted actually throughout the book to the things of the Old Testament, the old system, the law. Jesus is contrasted in every occasion. He is found to be superior. In chapters 1 to 6, he is a superior person. He is better than prophets. He is better than angels. He is better than Moses and Aaron. In chapters 7 to 10, he has a superior priesthood. In chapters 11 through 13, he has a superior principle. It is that of faith. Faith. Well, my friends, we are about to dive in and focus on something rarely thought about in regards to Jesus. We're still in the midst of that argument that Jesus is greater, superior than angels. And we'll dive in in just a moment, but pray together with me. Father, help us to be scholars here today. To search the scriptures as those noble Bereans. To look carefully at this text. That we might understand this truth that is so, so important and so applicable to our lives. Oh, Spirit of God, fill us here this morning. Take away distractions, God. Help us to understand this truth. May it be an act of worship in the way that we study here today. And may Jesus be glorified, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone loves a rags to riches story, don't they? I mean, you know, who doesn't just love to just, yeah, celebrate the underdog? You know, like that, that man who found an old Nintendo video game in the attic of his childhood home? and sold it for $9,000. I mean, who couldn't use a no, little cash, right? <laughs> or how about that mother who gave her daughter a cheap, or what she thought was a cheap brooch, but it turned out to be a $5,000 royal gem? Talking about something getting mixed, misplaced. Oh my goodness. People who have things in their possession and they have no idea the value of these things. My goodness. How about that guy that uh, was using a $100,000 meteor as a doorstop? <laughs> just having treasure, this great abundant treasure, and just seeing it as something common. Imagine it. <laughs> There was this this woman from France who was getting to ready to sell her house. Instead of moving it all, and who wants to do that? And she thought, you know, I'll bring in a guy to uh, uh, to auction all of these things. And so they went through the house, and the first thing they saw in the kitchen of all places was this painting. And it turned out this painting was from the 13th century. And one of the long-lost works of this, this great artist in Florentine, it was a masterpiece, a piece known as Christ Mocked. It was worth $26.8 million. She bought it at a garage sale. Can you imagine treating treasure so common? Wouldn't it be just great to discover such things? That $45,000 penny? Anybody even have change in their pocket anymore? Something about our culture has just moved away from cash altogether. Well, I know rich probably does, but... (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, as I mentioned, my friends, this this letter is being written to a Jewish Christian audience. And and let's face it, it, it's hard to pull away. It's hard to move from Judaism to Christianity. Because there are so many connections. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. And yet their hearts were just kind of stuck in the past. And when they looked at Jesus, perhaps they didn't see what was really there. And perhaps that's true of you. You have the great advantage of knowing clearly what the gospel is. Say it with me. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. You know it. And now it is common to you. It is simple and it is ordinary. You know that Jesus went to a cross and died for your sin You know that he paid the penalty for your sin. You know he rose from the dead to forgive you of that sin. And my friends, you have lost the excitement of such truth. We look at our salvation as something just simply common. And it is a shame. We have a treasure, my friends. And that is the, what the writer of Hebrews writes about here today. And so you will notice that we start in verse 5, because last week we looked at the first four verses. Chapter 2, a book of Hebrews, verse 5. Jesus, for it was not to angels. See that contrast going on. It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. I and mean, just looking at that, we see this contrary. It was not to angels. It, it, angels didn't get the, the, the world to come suggest, uh, subjected to them, of which we are speaking. So the author, the, the author here he introduces a new subject here in a new way. Jesus is superior to angels in this particular way. Jesus is given dominion over the world to come. Now what is this world to come? The world to come is a thousand year reign of Christ on earth. You particularly read about that in, uh, in, in Revelation, the details of such things. When Jesus returns, he will establish his reign. There are promises that God made to Israel. Okay? This is a very Jewish thing. You're not going to be there. Okay? (laughs) This is not about the church, my friend. This is about Israel. Christ the King will indeed sit on a throne, and he will reign for a thousand years. It won't be angels on their throne. That dominion is, belongs to Jesus. And then, starting on this truth, the writer continues on and he talks about the means of this dominion. How is it going to happen? Well, here in verses 6 through 7, a scriptural basis for the incarnation. And that is how Jesus You know this, this is true, and this is astounding, and we treat it as though it is common. Jesus added humanity to himself. He is the God-man. He knows what it's like to have a hangnail, to stub his toe, to have a stomachache. He knows what it's like to be human. Why? Because he didn't just watch closely. He added humanity to himself. He knew what it was like to be tired. To be weary. To be thirsty. To be hungry. He understands our needs. And he became a Jewish man. (laughs) He added humanity to himself. He did not cease to be God. He added humanity to himself. Explain that. I'll tell you that, friends. I can tell you what the scripture says. The understanding part? Well, let's work on that. (laughs) A scriptural basis for this incarnation, that is the enfleshment of Jesus. It has been testified somewhere, the writer says, and I tell you, we can relate to this writer. We know it's in there. Remember the commercial commercial for Prego, this this spaghetti sauce? It's in there was their slogan, you know? It's just like mom's. It's in there. A lot of us have Prego Bible. I I don't know where it is, but it's in there somewhere. And that's kind of the feel here. It has been testified before it ever happened, and that is the wonder of the Scripture is this prophecy that is laid out that highlights truth before it happens. What God will do. And read this. This is is astounding. It has been testified somewhere. What is man, and here's a quote, that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him. And now that expression, the son of man, is an expression Jesus used about himself that you care for him for you made him don't miss this you made him for a little while lower than the angels ha oh, so the angels gotta beat there right not at all this was the step this was the process that leads to glory look at if you're looking for glory the path is suffering First comes suffering, then comes glory. Talk about anyone who has stood on top of the, you know, in the Olympics. They line him up on height, and that first guy is like, I did it. And it wasn't because last weekend he said, you know, i bet you I could swim pretty fast. (laughs) Suffering, then glory. To what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him. For you made him for a little while lower than And so there is the means of this dominion, this rule, is first. Jesus added humanity to himself, and here is the part which is one of a giant picture of the of the prophecy talking about such things. But then we get to the end of verse 7, in in verse 8, we see the reward for the Incarnation here. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. Again, suffering leads to glory. And so the reward, first and foremost, was the coronation, in which the crown is placed upon his head. And the second reward is subjugation verse 8, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And see, one day, Jesus will sit on the throne. All things will be put in subjection. Now, the author says now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. What we see is chaos But notice the purpose of the incarnation. But, he says, we, we don't see everything in subjection to him yet. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Why? And here's the connection. Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Purpose of the incarnation was to die vicariously. He died in our place. He suffered and died for you, for me. He died as a substitute in our place. So that, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Don't don't stumble over this taste death thing as if he only got sick. (laughs) Today's death means to experience it, and that is exactly what he did. He died. Jesus was not just wounded on the cross. He was most certainly wounded. But my friends, he died because that is the wages of sin. And so the first purpose of this incarnation was to die vicariously for sinners. Secondly, here in verse 10, to procure man's salvation. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he For whom and by whom all things exist. Underline that in the scriptures. It was fitting that for whom and by whom all things exist. Look at that. By whom? By Jesus the creator. All things exist through him. In bringing many sons to glory. Hmm. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now there's an expression that needs some explanation. It does not indicate here that Jesus was not perfect. Better to understand the word perfect as mature, as complete, in other words, everything was accomplished through his suffering and death. <laughs> it was fitting mm-hmm. that the founder of their salvation, perfect through suffering. For he, in a little explanation, verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, remember that word sanctified means to be set apart. Those for whom Christ died, he set apart. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, are set apart from the rest of the world. And those who are sanctified all have one source. And that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus. Can we just pause for a moment? How does Jesus feel about you? I'll tell you, there, there were years that went by that I thought I would imagine that Jesus would be ashamed. Not because I have some cognitive shame, but I know my imperfections. I know my failures. They're ever before me. And I think, Surely, Jesus must live. But the scripture here tells us very clearly that Jesus is not ashamed to call you his prize. No, 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 no. You are the prize, my friends. You are the reason he went to the cross. You are the prize. Why? To adopt you in his family. Imagine that. The father... Adopts us into his family. That's thus the word brother with Jesus. Imagine. Wow. So that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, verse 12, saying, I will tell your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, and I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Focusing on that relationship with Jesus for those who have been saved by faith, by grace through faith. And so the purpose of the incarnation was, was to die vicariously. Jesus died in our place. And he died to procure procure your salvation. He died that you might be forgiven and reconciled to God. But Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. So Jesus died to destroy the works of the evil one. Satan. Satan. Mm. And here in verse 15. And deliver. To deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels (laughs) that he helps. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. And so finally, the purpose of the Incarnation was to deliver the people of God. And this, my friend, is the crown jewel of them all. As if he's not great enough that Jesus died in our place and paid the penalty for our sin. Look at the nature of Jesus' dominion. So Jesus, the one who reigns, the one that all things are subjected to him, what sort of ruler is he? Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful priest in the service of God a merciful, merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Does you know that Jesus is praying for you? And his prayer is not, help him, Father there look at them; there are just a bunch of screw-ups out there. I mean, these people can't get, that's not the Jesus whom we love. Jesus is a faithful, merciful, mercy, my friends. That is the character of Christ. And so Jesus took on humanity, the incarnation, in order that he might be merciful. Merciful and faithful to get it, my friends. And Notice at the end of verse 17, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That word propitiation doesn't come up very well, or very often in our conversations, I'm sure. But let me tell you what it means. It means satisfaction. If the righteous judgments of God was satisfied, so Jesus in his death Satisfies the righteous judgment on sinners. Every last punishment was meted out in Jesus. The judgment of God was satisfied for the sins of the people. And then finally here in verse 18 Jesus took on added humanity to himself in order to help us when we are tempted. Look at this verse in verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, Jesus gets it. Whatever it is you are experiencing today, struggling with today, Jesus gets it. The writer is going to talk about Jesus is high priest later, and what kind of priest he is. But know this, my friends. Jesus suffered and died. Not just to forgive you of your sin, but that you might be adopted as sons, and not be ashamed to be called his brother that he might care for you, pray for you as a faithful high priest, mercifully, and help you in times of temptation. This is too much to swallow here today. I want to commend you to read through this some more. To just consider how great a salvation we have. That Jesus not only died to forgive us our sins. But that he might relate with us well. That he might care for us. Be family with us. Not ashamed to call us for this. <laughs> and to help us along the way. Know this, my friends, in your deepest and darkest temptations, in your most difficult times, that Jesus, your great high priest, prays for you. Knows precisely what to ask of the Father. Isn't that a struggle for some time? You you hear someone's story, pray for them. What what should I pray? I, I don't know what to pray for them in that situation. But Jesus, our great high priest, knows exactly What you need in every moment. Resources are on their way. So as we wrap it up here, my friends, know this, only the great Savior Jesus could procure such a great salvation. You need to think about that a little more. Because my friends, when that is fresh in our mind, the great salvation, we are off to forget that we deserve hell, we deserve absolute, total suffering for all eternity, and we have been rescued from that. We would be a little more grateful if we were reminded of that. I remind myself of that often because it puts everything else in perspective. Why, when you ask me how I am and I say better than I deserve, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We have a great Savior and a great salvation. And in light of this, my friends, put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have simply heard and endured sermon after sermon, Bible study after Bible study to merely simply know this, (coughs) you will spend eternity in hell. Because knowing this saves no one. You are saved by grace through faith. Not knowledge. Knowledge is not the equation You can't trust unless you know, but once you know, you must put your faith in Jesus. I commend you to do that right now. Secondly, show some gratitude. What does gratitude look like? What is gratitude? What does it mean to be thankful? certainly means a whole lot more than simply saying it, because let's be honest, we've said it a lot and haven't meant it. To be grateful is to be changed. To be grateful for something, it affects you, it affects the way that you live. Be grateful is to recognize the greatness of the gift and the giver, and it demands of you that you live a certain way. You can't go back to the old ways. You can't. And you know what else? When you're grateful for something, it can't stop talking. Christmas is coming and people will talk about shopping following what did we get and you know how that goes well you know some stuff around now yeah I'm real grateful for that But you could hear it in their voices they will talk about it and there will be excitement, gratitude and amazement about it. And I don't know how she thought about this. But she bought me a new set of chisels. And those babies are razor sharp. Talk about it. Yeah. Which leads to our third application, my friends. If you are so amazed at this great salvation and grateful for it, tell someone. You know the way. You have the instruction that will change someone's eternity. Shame on you if you keep it to yourself. Shame on you. Christ died for our sin. Rose from the dead. Trust in him. Father, help us. Help us, God. What a great Savior we have who came and They've not only suffered for us, endured the abuse, but they called it a demon for heaven's sakes. Oh God, help us. Renew our Father. Give us a clear understanding of this great salvation that you've given to us. This salvation that we do not deserve. We deserve the opposite. <clears throat> but by your grace, you have given us heaven. You have given us an intimate relationship with yourself. <clears throat> we treat it like garbage. We nod our heads on Sunday and forget it the rest of the week. Oh God, help us. Help us, God, that we would that we would understand. <clears throat> And that we would understand the a way that God makes us grateful. In a way, God, that, that causes us to be passionate about communicating it to people we love, people we know, people who are strangers to us. We look for those opportunities to tell us of our great salvation and Savior. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Consider the words of this song as we close.